As we continue our time in worship, join me as we recite the Apostles' Creed together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, He rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Oh, good morning. How are y'all doing? Oh, man, y'all are ready, awake, and hopefully willing. My name is Marco. I serve as the preaching and teaching pastor here at Storehouse McAllen, thank you so much for being here with us this morning, worshiping alongside of us. I got a couple of things for you as we dive into our time. And so if you have a Bible with you, we're going to find ourselves in Matthew chapter 16. So if you want to open your Bible or load your Bible, go ahead and do so. Uh, while I ramble for a little bit, I got, a, as I mentioned, I got a couple of things for you. The first one is if you are new, uh, man, we'd love to connect with you. And although there are connect cards on the chairs before you, and even these little things that we call passports, where you can learn a little bit more about who we are and what we do today is something that we call connect Sunday, connect Sunday. We have twice a year. One time in the spring and then one time in the fall, this being the one in the fall. And uh, Connect Sunday is where we provide you with opportunities to learn more about who we are, the ministries that we have here at Storehouse, and how to get better connected through things like group life. Uh, uh, so after service, if you don't uh, fill out a Connect card after service, go to the back. We'll have a, ver- a variety of leaders in the back who are going to be uh, uh, ready and uh, willing to answer your questions, get you connected, get you plugged into our missional communities. Uh, in the past, what we have tried to do is try to fill out our week, that Monday through Friday. Uh, we're currently planting a new missional community in South Far, so if that's something that might be uh, of interest to you, I, again, I recommend that you guys go to the back after service, ask all of the questions. Uh, in addition to that, you'll see in the announcements later on that we're going to be having a members class available. We'll have information for you on that uh, in the back. So that's the first one. Number two, as we're going to find ourselves in Matthew 16, if you do not have a Bible with you, whether it's an app or a hard copy, we do have Bibles available for you. That is our gift to you. So please take one. Or if you know someone who would benefit from having a Bible, hook them up, right? Uh, I think that's all I have. I think I've said it all. All right, good. I got the thumbs up. I have said it all. Um, I forgot what we're doing. We're praying. Thanks, Christina. So, okay, I pray it's been one of those weeks. Uh, I'm sure you guys can attest to that. Uh, before the sermon, I do want to do a lot of praying, but before uh, getting into the prayer uh, regarding our sermon, I know uh, last week and, and, and maybe the week before that, many of you who are educators and teachers have started school. Many of you ha- uh, already start tomorrow. So if you are a teacher, right? if you're a teacher, would you please stand up? Would you please, 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 please stand up for me? Uh, we got some up on top on the stairs. Everyone else, yeah, don't, don't act shy. And I could see some of y'all who are teachers who may not want to stand up. Uh, <sighs> 
So check it. As, as you guys are standing up, so my father was, uh, was a teacher. He recently retired. Uh, my brothers and I calculated about 50 years of teaching and everywhere from Donna and McAllen and in Mercedes. Uh, he's done all of the things. Uh, and so I get it. I get, uh, uh, he would always come home with his briefcase and set it down in the same place, grade papers in the same area on the same desk with the same red pen, the uniball pens. If you guys know what I'm talking about, he would always grade that and he had such good handwriting. I felt bad for his students, uh, because he was so clear and concise with what they were going to do. And so all I'm saying is you guys do such an exceptional job because you guys have a ton of work to do. You guys invest in our children. You invest in your students, uh, and you're not just teaching them whatever curriculum you have before you. Uh, you're also teaching them about relationships. You're teaching them about what it looks like to, to turn into the, the men and women that God has called them to be. And so what I'd love to do for just a moment is pray for you. As some of you have already started your school year, some of you are about to start your school year. So let me just pray for you before we get started this morning. Um, God, we love our teachers uh, because they're not just uh, they're not just teachers that uh, look at um, a curriculum. They're not just teachers who are uh, teaching uh, education. They're teachers who are uh, these are individuals who are investing in everything from life skills to relationships. Um, they don't just see their students for what they have in their brain. They see their students for who they are uh, because they invest in them. They get to disciple them. They get to spend countless hours with them. And so, Lord, my simple prayer is that would, uh, my simple prayer is, would you bless them this semester, this school year? Would you watch over them? Would you keep them, Lord? Would you continue to draw them closer to yourself as they draw to you so that they would depend on you so that their students, uh, their coworkers would, uh, not just see a good person, but so that they would see you through them. So that students, faculty, and staff would come to know you through their faithfulness. Once again, Lord, I am so thankful for our teachers. Pray that you would bless them this school year. I'm sure the stress is already starting to creep in. God, I pray um, that as it does, and as the workload increases, that they would hold fast to the truth of your gospel and the comfort of your Holy Spirit. And so we ask all these things in your name. Amen. Thank you so much, teachers. It is warm up here. Okay, let's get started. If I asked you, what do you think of the church, what would you say? Say it one more time. If I asked you, what do you think of the church, what would you say? Perhaps some of you would talk to me about a program that we have available. Maybe you would talk to me about a ministry that you currently serve in or that you wish to serve in. Others would probably hook me up with a list of things that you enjoy, in addition to a list of things that could probably be better. Maybe you're a pros and cons person. But what if I wasn't talking about Storehouse McAllen specifically? What if I was asking about the church as a whole? See, this morning, we're taking a look at the section of the creed that reads, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church and the communion of the saints. And what I want you to walk away with this morning, or what I want you to better understand, is that the church is the fruit of the gospel. The church 
is the fruit of the gospel. We could say it this way. What we believe about God shapes our understanding about what we believe concerning the church. And what I want you to know as we dive into our time is that God and the church are inseparable. You see, there are many who desire to know God but want nothing to do with His church. Perhaps some of you feel that way this morning. You feel that the imperfect bride of Christ isn't exactly what you want or what you've signed up for. And so I want us to look at Matthew 16, and I want us to examine Peter's confession to Christ, and I want to examine the integrity of the church based on six indicators or six principles, both from Peter's confession and Christ's response. So let's dive in. This is Matthew 16, beginning in verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesar of Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do you say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven." I mean, pray, and then we'll dive. God, as we prepare our hearts for, man, study and worship of your preached word, God, would you set me aside? And Holy Spirit, would you work through me? Would you be at work in the hearts and minds of my brothers and sisters here this morning? Changing their hearts and minds. Drawing them to yourself. For your glory and our good as we worship you and adore you. God, may this time, once again, bring you glory. And would it bring us, would it bring us a challenge? Would it bring us uh, conviction so that we might see our deepest need for you? We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In this section, Jesus is asking the disciples about the rumors that are going on around town about who he is. But he quickly cuts to the chase to see where they stand. And Peter, our homeboy Peter, wastes no time and confesses that Jesus is the Christ. And along with Jesus, or excuse me, Peter's confession and Jesus' response, we are given great insight on foundational principles of who we are as a church. As I mentioned earlier, I want us to look at the integrity of the church. I want us to look at six marks of the identity of us as a church. 
See, when we read through the creed over the past couple of weeks, we have uh, jumped into a dense theology of the Trinity. We certainly looked at the weight of what it means to say or what it means to confess, I believe. But we also looked at God the Father, God the Son, and yesterday, or last week, excuse me, we looked at God the Holy Spirit. Today, and through the rest of the creed, we're going to look at the character of the church. The creed is a summary of the Christian faith. And so for the past couple of weeks, we have looked at God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And now we're going to look at our response, our identity, and our character. And so in this scripture, in Matthew 16, we're going to look at six marks of the identity of the church. The first one is based on what Peter says. The first mark is Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of God. So if you're taking notes, the first marker of the identity of the church is confession. It is confession. And we see that in Peter's response or in Peter's confession. He says that Jesus is the Christ. And what I want you to notice is that, G, or excuse me, that Peter isn't general and he's not vague, but he is specific and he is convictional. The first principle is one of confession based on the person and work of Jesus, that God became man and died for sinners. Now, why is Peter's confession significant? Or why is Peter's confession so important? Because when you read it, it just sounds like Peter's jumping the gun like he always does. Christ cuts to the chase and says, who do you say that I am? And Peter jumps right into it. You're the Christ, you're the Lord. The reason Peter's confession is so significant and why it matters to you and I is because Peter's confession is done at a time of opposition toward Christ where very few believed in him, where very few followed him, and a great number of people opposed him, including the religious leaders of the day, including the Pharisees and the high priests. So it is not just Peter jumping the gun. It is a statement that has weight to it because there is opposition going on outside. There is opposition toward Jesus. And so Peter's confession is significant because of the opposition happening. Number two, it is significant because it is done in faith. Doesn't mean that Peter doesn't jack it up. We can look at first Peter, we can look at the rest of his story, but he makes this statement of conviction and confession in faith. You see, confession is not only admitting our sin. When we've talked about confession and repentance from the pulpit, it is not just admitting our sin or looking at the charges that are brought before us. Confession also includes contending and defending the truth about the gospel. When we contend for the gospel, what we are doing is fighting for the truth of the gospel. We're on, if we can say it this way, we're on the offensive. We are standing on biblical truths. We are standing upon biblical claims. 
This is where we stand. This is what we believe. This is why we believe. That's contending. When we stand to defend the gospel, we are pushing against or pushing back against an attack on the gospel. We could say it this way, that we're on the defense. We're on the defense, and what is going to be challenged is what you are standing on. There's a little difference between contending and defending the gospel. In fact, when we look at Matthew 16, we see Jesus kind of cut through it. The first question he asks is, who do people say that I am? And they're saying, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say uh, it's Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And so what Jesus is saying is, you're going to hear rumors about me. You're going to hear rumors about God. But what's ultimately going to cut the chase? How are you going to defend against those rumors and lies? How are you going to defend against those heresies? Well, we're going to defend against those heresies by standing on the biblical truth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. There is a difference between contending and defending. When we cut through the noise, we're ultimately saying, that God entered into human history as the man Jesus Christ, lived the life that you and I cannot live, and died the death that you and I deserve, and freely offers the grace that you and I cannot earn. He died on the cross, was buried, and rose again through the power of the Holy Spirit. The first marker of of the identity of the church or the integrity of the church is one of confession. The second one is truth. Now, truth and confession, I might overlap a little bit. In Peter confessing that Christ is the Son of God, not only is he making a stand, not only is he contending, but he is also recognizing truth. Not something that just sounds good, but he is standing upon conviction, as I said earlier. Our confession is rooted in the truth about what God has done for us in Christ. Our truth is rooted in the pages of Scripture as revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. Our truth, or the truth of the gospel, is not rooted in the magnificent writings of old dead guys or the opinions of others about Scripture, but it is rooted in Scripture through the inspired work of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 3 says that all Scripture is breathed out by God and it is profitable for rebuke, for godliness, teaching, and reproof. And so for a minute, I want to address confession and truth as it pertains to contending for the gospel and the defense of the gospel. There are times... There are times where we must contend against one another. Stay with me. In a family, that happens. But it is done graciously and not as enemies. And it is done for the purpose of correcting error or winning someone back to the truth about the gospel. And I say this with love. Some of you love contending against one another for the sake of quarreling. You know what quarreling is? Where you fight just to fight. Some of you love contending against one another for the sake of quarreling, and you rather use the excuse that you're defending the truth 
when really you are belittling, slandering, and ungraciously attacking your brother or sister in Christ. A confession of the truth is founded upon Jesus Christ and His finished work on the cross, not how many books you have read. Additionally, some of you love to quarrel with one another, love to quarrel with brothers and sisters concerning biblical truth, but have spent zero time in the pages of Scripture that you desire to adopt what is called a liberal theology. And I don't mean that in the political sense. I mean that in the sense that you are okay dismissing and diminishing the truth of the gospel. That you like to pick and choose what you like. Maybe because you read it in Coffee and Colossians app. But have spent zero time in the pages of Scripture. And rather than stand on solid ground, you rather stand on quicksand. And the more you move, the more you quarrel, and the more you complain, the faster you sink. Yes, when you sign up, excuse me. When you sign up to be a part of the church, we are signing up to be sinned against. That's just cut and dry. When we are signing up to be a part of the church, we are signing up to be sinned against. And that should not distract us from the truth of the gospel. Instead, we should be empowered by the Holy Spirit to engage one another with the gospel. That's the whole point that we can go to those dark places with one another as the church with the gospel. But oftentimes Christians are so afraid and or prideful to go in those areas with the gospel. And so if that is you, either one of these, let me just remind you that neither of you is the hero of the gospel. Jesus Christ is. And so you can engage one another empowered by the Holy Spirit and you can take the gospel to one another and see restoration. See a newness of life, a changed heart, a changed mind. But before we get there, repent. My pastoral encouragement would be repent. Repent of your self-righteousness. And here's the thing. I'm not like on the outside. I'm no better because I'll fall in one of these. Repent of self-righteousness. Repent of pride, of a hardened heart. Beg the Holy Spirit to meet you where you're at right now to reveal sin, to reveal the individual or individuals you need to talk to. And then on the flip side, if you're one of those individuals that feel you need someone to talk to, but they're not coming up to you, you be the one. You be the one that takes the gospel to them. Don't make excuses. You have the Holy Spirit. If you belong to Jesus, the Holy Spirit abides in you. You're not going at this alone. 
You're not going at this as if you don't know. You're going at this with the truth of the gospel. That Jesus is Lord and you are not. It's a wonderful reminder. Number three. We've looked at confession and truth. Number three. Authority. Go back to Matthew 16. Jesus says, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Christ hands the keys of the kingdom to the disciples for the purpose of making more disciples, for the purpose of proclaiming the excellencies of Christ to all who would believe. In John 14, one of the the first areas where we see Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit, he tells the disciples, the helper is coming, he's referring to the Holy Spirit, and he tells them, you will do greater works than I. He's not referring to works that are more significant than his, but he is referring to the number of people that will come to know him through the work of the Holy Spirit in the disciples. He is talking about the church. He is talking about people coming to know him through the proclamation of the gospel. Jesus here, and in John 14, is delegating power. He is delegating authority, and he is delegating responsibility to these disciples for the birth of the church. Storehouse McCallan and all of our history would not exist apart from the Holy Spirit's work in these men. As a church, we, you, we have been given authority as a new people. That if you belong to Jesus, you have a new heart and a new mind that you are redeemed and you are a new people to proclaim the gospel of Jesus with conviction and power. It's the best news we can provide. It's the best news that we can herald. It is the best news that brings us comfort. And Jesus further encourages us by saying that the church will prevail and the gates of hell can't do anything about it. That Satan, his works and attempts will not stop the church. That she will prevail because she belongs to Jesus. The church will prevail because she belongs to Jesus. Number four, holiness. The fourth mark of the church is holiness. If you got your Bibles, go to First Peter, uh, chapter one. Beginning in verse thirteen, Peter says, "Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, as obedient." Children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, for it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. The fourth marker of the church is holiness. It is that we have been set apart by God. 
not because of any inherent good in us, but because of he, because he is good and it was done for his glory and our good. As a result, our status has now changed because of his love and pursuit for us. That we at one point were enemies of God and now we are friends. That at one point we were lost and now we are found. That at one point we were orphans and now we are children. We are sons and daughters as a result of what God has done for us in Christ. Our status has changed. And in this spiritual adoption, we are given a certificate of authenticity, and that is the Holy Spirit. That is the Holy Spirit. So if our status has changed, then who we used to be no longer exists because who we are now is a new creation with new hearts and a new mind. Therefore, as Peter says, we must be sober-minded. What does it mean to be sober-minded? You can go back to our first Peter series. We'll dive much more into this. But in summary, what it means to be sober-minded is that we are disciplined in the Word of God. That we exercise self-control as a result of who we are. That our judgment isn't clouded. That we're not under the influence of something outside of what God has revealed to us. We are sober-minded And the result of being holy, of our status change, of us being sober-minded, is godliness. The result of us being holy, being made holy, is godliness. That is, that we grow in our sanctification. Sanctification is the ongoing process of salvation, of God at work in us through the Holy Spirit, making us more like Jesus where our love and understanding for Jesus increases and the old self continues to decrease. It cannot go together. It cannot and does not go together. Our increase of of who Jesus is and what He has done increases and our hatred... Here's one thing. Here's one thing that increases with our sanctification. Our hatred for sin. If you want something to hate there. Our hatred for sin. Godliness is us being sanctified. Godliness is us hungry for God and hungry for the things of God. That's what it means to be holy. Number five, probably the one everybody's waiting for, the church is Catholic. What? Yes. I even have in my notes in bold, what does this mean? This word long existed, or excuse me, this word existed long before the Roman Catholic or Protestant church. All right? Let's pause right there, because I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. All right? This was written, some, the Apostles' Creed, that is, was written somewhere between the first and third century. Even the one that we read isn't the original. All right? The Roman Catholic and Protestant church did not exist at the time. The word Catholic simply means universal. There you go. You're welcome. Universal in that we are a part 
of a larger church that spans through cultures and languages and time. Being a part of the Catholic Church means that our beliefs are rooted in what God has revealed to us in Christ and His Word. Not in tradition or hierarchy. Tradition bad? No, that's cool, man. It's just not Scripture. I mean, we have traditions. We're reading one of them right now. But it's not Scripture. It points us back to the pages of Scripture, and that's awesome. The importance of the Catholic Church, and I'm going to keep using it because I know it makes some of y'all feel uncomfortable. The importance of the Catholic Church is that God in Christ has chosen to reveal Himself through the church. Even in the midst of our brokenness, He has chosen to reveal Himself through the church. That means we're all in the same boat. And sometimes we need to work our stuff out. And as we work our stuff out, people are looking in to see how the church is ultimately going to work their stuff out if they say that they are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And God in His providence and graciousness and kindness reveals Himself to others through the church. Through the church. The Catholic church stands as a redeemed people. A baptized people a people clothed in Christ's righteousness and a people anticipant of his return. That's what it means when we say we believe in the Catholic Church. And finally, number six, the sixth mark of the church is that the church is communal. That the church is communal. Check it. The bottom line is that the faithfulness of the church stands upon the confession of we and not I. Believers are not merely individuals, but a saved people. And so communal, being communal presents two practical applications. If everything was, and including communal, everything is the identity, identity of the church, and some of you are like, that's cool, how do I do this here? are two practical applications. The first one is communion with the Holy Trinity. Communion with the Holy Trinity through spiritual disciplines. Very briefly, spiritual disciplines, many of them, include the regular reading of God's Word, meditation, memorization, what else? Prayer, sometimes journaling, Those are spiritual disciplines. Now, in light of those spiritual disciplines, those are disciplines that we set aside intentionally to grow in. Communion with the Trinity, that is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, is an intentional time spent with God so that we would increase not only in our understanding of God, but our understanding of who He is and what He has done for us in Christ. As a result, we learn more about ourselves. Things like confession and repentance take place. But in addition to that, we adopt a posture of humility. We worship God. We adore God. And that is created through an intentional time of what we call communion. Now, here's the thing. Okay? I don't know how to say this. (laughs) Okay, here's the thing. Many, I'm going to look up, many people, (laughs) right? 
Many people, and you might be one of those, and here's what I'm going to say. I'm not knocking this per se. Many love downloading things like apps, right? Like, uh, what is it? Verse of the day, right? You guys have that? Don't raise your hand because I'm going to call you out right now. Okay, verse of the day, proverb of the day, he reads truth, she reads truth, right? Like, we download a lot of those. I'm not knocking those apps. Here's my problem when it comes to communion with God through apps like those or studies like those. We adopt those so that those apps and studies would do the communion for us rather than us setting aside intentional time to grow in our spiritual disciplines as we experience communion with God. Now, you might have one of those apps and you might set aside them 45 minutes in the morning. Okay, cool. That's awesome. Some of you may not. I've met with individuals when I've asked, hey, what are you reading right now? Well, this morning, Psalm something came out on my phone and it was really good. Made me feel great. That tells me you're not spending any time. Communion with God is so that we would increase our worship and understanding of God. Communion with God is wonderful news to the believer because it means that we have access to the Father through the Son because of the Holy Spirit. Like, there is so much happening. And as we invest and grow in these spiritual disciplines, we continue to grow in our understanding and worship of God. So if you got one of those apps, that's cool, I think, maybe. Maybe it's just not for me. If you got one of those apps, it's one thing. But if you're not setting time aside, if you're not being intentional about it, then there's a disconnect. You're relying on someone or something to do the communion with God for you. The same thing applies when it comes to prayer. I meet with many individuals throughout the week, and if it's not about reading, how's your prayer life going? Same thing. One of the most common answers is, I pray on my way to work. I pray in between classes. I pray, uh, you know, when, when the day's winding down. And that might be true. And that's all good. You're still being reactive. You're still being reactive because setting aside time to grow in these spiritual disciplines at the end of the day really is just an inconvenience. It's an inconvenience maybe because we're not disciplined enough to wake up early or stay up a little bit later or say no to our friends at lunch so that we could dive one hour into the Word. I mean, up there, I guess, right? Don't, don't act like you don't know. Commun- communal presents itself with two applications. Communion with the Holy Spirit and an increase of our spiritual discipline. And so if this is you, hey man, it's all good. You could redeem what's left of the summer, a day, right? And man, set aside these new rhythms. And like, here's the thing. I want you to grow in these disciplines because I want you to grow in your love for what God has done for you in Christ. That's why I want you to do this. And if you're like, man, I can't do an hour and a half a day like you, pastor. I don't. Like, aside from study of my sermons, man, I go four times, 30 minutes a day. I mean, that's, I, that's cool. And it's like a CrossFit workout. Like, I dive into it. You got to knock out what you do. Number two, so we have communion with the Holy Spirit and the increase of spiritual disciplines. Number two is fellowship with believers. 
Another one that people don't like to talk about. Fellowship when it comes to believers. See, all these markers, all these marks of the identity, identity of the church lead up to a couple of practical applications. That is communion with God and fellowship with one another. That is that you are intentionally, just like your spiritual disciplines and your communion with God, that is that you are intentionally pursuing community, not just when it fits you best, like when you just want some piece of advice and then you go away for six months. That's not communion, right? That, that's a therapy session, okay? That you pursue community and fellowship with one another, in James 5, we see that he says, man, in community, you're going to pray for one another. You're going to confess sin to one another. And sure, accountability is a byproduct of confessing sin. Yes, and that's not the only thing that happens in community. In community, friendships and relationships flourish. In community, we go out to proclaim the gospel. In community, you develop meaningful relationships that we see, for instance, in the book of Acts. Sometimes, sometimes, many people include communion, and this might be you, I don't know, include community, I should say, as attendance to this, attendance to Sunday morning, and a choosing of ignorance, right? Ignorance means uninformed, right? You choose to be uninformed. Well, I didn't know I could do X, Y, and Z. You choose to be uninformed. You know what that is? That's a consumer attitude. Or that's a consumer, yeah, that's a consumer mindset. That you come here to Sunday morning, give me the message so I can feel good, I'll chew on it a little bit, and then I'll bounce and nobody hears from me. The same thing happens when we uh, rely on those apps when it comes to our communion with God. We are saying, hey, give me the study, give me whatever verse I need to read, let me get fed, that sounds really good, and then you bounce. That is not growing in communion with God. That is not fellowshipping with other believers. Instead, we're really just consumers. And we mask that with Christianese. Well, I got this app. I got that study. Are you pursuing community? Are you pursuing friendships? This is a shameless plug. We got missional communities coming up. Right? Look, I'm going I'm to just, just say it because Friday night's awesome. Friday night we have our MC. We've been, run, we've been running together, many of us, for a little over four years. I love it because it's that one space or one of the spaces where I could be totally myself. And those in our MC, call me out. Those in our MC, pray for me and my family. Those in our MC actually hang out with one another because we enjoy it. Acts 2 and is riddled with community. Because again, the faithfulness of the church stands upon the confession of we and not I. So let me encourage you to dive into community. It's scary and sometimes it could be a little intimidating. I get that. The first time I ever went to a community group, I was petrified. And the one guy that taught me how to pray 
was saying some trippy things about Jesus and his blood and being washed in it, and I got scared. Right? Like, that's a guy who's, that's me, never been to church, never prayed before, gets paired with the most holy dude, and he starts praying. I just want to leave. Okay? Like, I get it. And now he is one of my greatest friends. In summary, the marks of the church are confession, truth, authority, Catholic, (laughs) holiness, and communion. The church, if you walk away with one thing, here it is. The church is the fruit of the gospel and she will endure because she belongs to Jesus. Let's pray. God, as we close our time, and hopefully as we begin to chew and reflect on these identity markers of who we are as a church, Holy Spirit, would you work in and through us concerning each one of them? Because it certainly, each one of those certainly applies to us as individuals. And that's what makes it so significant for us as a body. God, I pray that we would preach the gospel to ourselves so that we would be empowered by your Holy Spirit to take that gospel into the places that we kind of don't want to take it to right now. Holy Spirit, would you please convict us of our sin, of our disbelief, and would you comfort us with the message of the gospel? That God became a man, and that is Jesus Christ, lived the life that we cannot live, died the death that we deserve to die, and has freely given us a grace that is undeserving favor that we cannot earn. The first half of your gospel is a wonderful reminder and encouragement that our sins have been forgiven as a result of Christ's obedience and righteousness. And we are also, if we belong to Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit to take the gospel to places that may sound really difficult. God, may our hearts be changed. May our minds be renewed. May we confess with our tongue and lips and look up to you as we worship and adore you as one body of believers. God, as we move into a time of tithes and offerings, may this be a demonstration of your work in us. That giving cheerfully and generously, may that be a result of what you are doing in us that we give to advance your gospel, that we give so that we 
serve one another and our community. That we give to make much of you. That we give to your glory and not ours. Holy Spirit, be at work in us this morning throughout our entire time together. And we ask all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.